it's good to spend some time with your family. It's a good time to rejoice. It's a good time to spend some sabbatical time learning and pondering on the goodness of God and taking some time. And while I was out, I had time to pray. They, they did us right. They took us out to really nice places. And this is the first vacation I ever had where I didn't have to do anything at all, Victor. It, it was wonderful and it was, it, was, it was lovely. But even in then, you were still on our minds and we were, we were praying for you and God's getting ready to do some wonderful things. He already is doing some wonderful things at this church. Thank you to all our staff. I looked around uh, as I got ready to send a thank you to the staff. Um, last week and um, I looked around and we had over 20 people on staff. There were over 20 people working just to make Sunday, Sunday happen. And that's not all the staff we have, but that, that, that's a good amount. I remember a time when, when I first walked into the church. and My first day at the church, AA walked into the building and they needed somebody. Uh, and I, I looked, at, looked at Brother Dave and I said, that'd be good. I said, okay, that'd be a great decision. My first decision as a pastor. And I said, where's your board? And everybody did this. And they pointed at me and me alone. Oh, how far we've come that we have deacons and we have people working audio and we have people working video and we have ministers and pastors that can carry this church forth and ministry. God has brought this church from a mighty long way. And God is still bringing this church to higher heights. prayer warriors and intercessors, as I began to look and I had Robin look over my text message, I looked and I said, my goodness, look at all the people that are on this list and all that it takes just to make this church run on a Sunday. And guess what? There's still some people who haven't gotten yet engaged and God has something for you to do in the building as well. Be praying about that because God is doing something. I don't know if you can see it, but God is doing something big and huge in this building and I feel it. I see it with my spiritual eye. Sometimes you got to see some things with your spiritual eye that your physical eye, it is not yet manifested, for the Bible says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. I look around and the things that I began to hope for, why is that bass guitar player, the bass sitting there is because I hoped for something and I told Brother Dave we'd have a, we'd have a bass and we'd have, have digital signs and we have internet ministry and we have a, all those things that I hoped for. You, with the power of God, have helped come bring it to pass. I, I prayed to God for staff and for pastors that can help lift the arms of the church, and God is doing it. He's doing it. Does anybody in the building have something that you hope for this morning? It may be somebody, a loved one, a mother or a father a sister or a brother or cousin that doesn't know the Lord or something that you've been asking God about or purpose or to find out what it is in your ministry. I want you to know today that faith is, everybody said now faith, is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. What you are sitting on, this wasn't here when we came here. That wasn't back there when we came here. We're standing on faith. We're walking on faith. We're looking at faith. We are walking by faith. And I've come to declare to you today as the shepherd of this house, this is only just the beginning. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. Look at your neighbor and say, it's on the way. Give God a hand clap of praise and welcome my online family. Thank you for those who have come out even in the holiday season. The book of Romans. 
There is a word from the Lord. The book of Romans chapter 14, starting at verse 1. We're going to do a bit of reading today. Um, Mark, if you could, if you take that clock and put 40 on it for me, or 35, somewhere around there. When you have it, say amen. Romans chapter 14, starting at 1 through 12. If you don't have it, it'll be on the screen shortly. In the New King James Version, we're reading. And it says this. It says, receive one. Well, they have it up. You can read it with me. Receive one who is weak in faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let him not who eats despise him who does not eat. And let not him who does not eat judge him who eats. For God has received him. Who are you to judge another servant? To his master he stands and falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day above another, another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord, and he who does not observe the day to the Lord. He does not observe it. He who eats to the Lord, for he gives thanks, God thanks. And he do, who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat and give God thanks. For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. A little bit more reading. We're going to do Romans chapter 15, verse 1 through 2, and Romans chapter 15, verse 4 through 6. If they'll pull it up on the screen, Romans 15, 1 through 2, and then we're going to do 15, 4 through 6. Romans chapter 15. There it is. What does it say? We then, who are strong, are to bear with the scruples of the weak, and not to please ourselves, lest each of us please his neighbor for his good leading to edification. Verse 4. Let, I let him pull it up. It's 15, 4, 6. I'll go ahead and read verse 4. As we go out, verse 4, now may the God of patience and comfort grant you like-minded toward one another, according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to hang all that on these last two scriptures, Romans 15, 1 through 2, the preceding scriptures we just read. We then, who are strong, are to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good leading to his edification. We want to speak to you this morning from this topic, lean on me. <laughs> Look at your neighbor and say, lean on me. 
Hallelujah. You may be seated in the presence of God. <laughs> when we first started reading, we would think that we were talking about dinner time. How fitting, right after Thanksgiving, <laughs> that we start talking about what we should eat and what we should not eat. And Paul is having a discussion about some things. And if you read it at face value without context, you will literally think he's talking about who's bringing what over for dinner. <laughs> but what Paul is talking about is Paul is talking to a group of Christians who are a large corporate conglomerate of people from all different walks and all different types of faith and all different levels of faith. I don't know whether you know it, but everybody's not at the same level of faith. Some people have walked with God a long time and they have never matured and they're still babies in the faith. Some have walked with God a long time and they have matured and they are mothers and fathers in the faith. Some have just walked into the door and don't know that there's not a book of job in the Bible. It's the book of Job. They don't know that yet. They don't, they don't know those things. They've come in and they're fresh in, in the word and they're fresh in the gospel. And so Paul is talking to Christians who have come to faith and they have come to faith and they have a question and Paul seeks to answer a question today. As we, as we navigate all the different levels of Christian maturity, we must be careful how we handle one another because everybody is not on the same level. <laughs> We are many different people from many different backgrounds, from many different perspectives, from many different places, many different levels of faith. And we have to learn to work together. You know, in the in the school system, they they, they have first grade and they have second grade and they have third grade. They have fourth and fifth grade. But in the church, we all come to together. And we have to learn how to deal with people who are not yet where we are and, and to bear with people who are farther along ahead of us. And the question rises today, how do we navigate the world of Christianity with so many people at so many different levels of their faith? <clears throat> That's the question that Paul sought to answer because there were people during that culture, it was a pagan culture. They worshiped false gods and idols. They literally worshiped demons because the Bible says, know you not that he who worships an idol really worships demons. Paul told them that. And there's a lot of demonic activity in the areas in which Paul is talking, especially in Rome itself. And so because of that, they realize the immense evil that's there and they have these games. They're called uh, in the Colosseum. They're called the Colosseum games. They go there and it's very brutal. This is these are places where they throw Christians and they sacrifice Christians, uh, innocent people sometimes just to sacrifice to their gods, to bless their games. What are their games? They're full of stadiums of men killing each other. For Rome figured out very soon that if you keep people's bread, uh, stomachs filled with bread and keep them with mindless entertainment, you can control a population. All you have to do is build a big stadium and, and, and keep them distracted and they'll watch violence all day long. They'll, they'll dress up for violence and they'll have their favorite mascot and they'll have their favorite gladiator. Today we call them our favorite player. That's what we call them. It, it, it's all there to keep us what? Distracted from what's really going on. To keep your mind off of the fact that you 
could have a better life, to keep your mind off the fact that you could have more money, to keep your fact off, mind off the fact that you could kick some of those habits that you do, to keep your mind off the fact that you're not at the level that you need to be. They build many distractions. I don't want to go down a rabbit trail, but there are a lot of distractions. Many of them carry them in our pockets. They're called cell phones. And Paul is looking at a culture who is constantly distracted by violence and demon and idol worship. And now they have people, those animals have to come from somewhere. And so when they need animals, there's a business, just like there was at the temple where Jesus turned over the tables where they were bringing sacrifices to the temples. There are also pagan sacrifices going to the pagan temples to Aphrodite and Zeus and, and, and all, all the, the, the Roman gods that were pulled from, from, from Greece. And they took them and they adopted their gods and to Mars, the god of war, and all these different people. And they would sacrifice those in religious services. And because they sacrificed those in religious services, they did it unto an idol. And now you have converts in Rome that have come into to the body of Christ and they say, I can't eat that meat. And obviously Paul is having to address this because there must be something going on because their conscience will not let them eat that meat. And Paul knows in his mind there's nothing wrong with that meat, that, that, that it's OK to eat that meat. But what he's telling them is just because you know that it's OK to eat the meat doesn't mean it's OK to eat the meat in front of them. Why? Because sometimes your liberty can be somebody else's bondage. Uh-oh. Sometimes because we feel like we are free to do something and we know our freedom in Christ and we're under grace and not the law. Sometimes we can abuse it. And if we're not careful, there are many things that can cause division in the church. And our goal is to bring other people closer to Christ. <laughs> what we first must realize is that we are all on the same journey, but we are in different locations. Everybody say same journey, different locations. <laughs> Everybody that's in here just about that I'm looking at has given their life to God. And guess what? You're you're on the same journey. We're on our way to heaven, but some of us are on different roads than the other. <laughs> if I go in the hood, I'm not going to take Sister Wolf because she's a little bit further down the road. And then tell her, and I need somebody who ain't as far down the road that I need a Peter around me that, that they ain't going to bother with Terhan. Terhan said, I'm saved, but I'm not that saved yet. <laughs> I need somebody. <laughs> I need somebody. <laughs> you need a Peter in your corner. You need somebody that says, if you touch my pastor, I'm not going to pray for you until after I get done with you. You need those type of people. <laughs> you, you need people at different levels of faith. And because all of us are in different places, we have to learn to work together. He's like, what? I caught him off guard. But that's the truth. We have different people at levels and spaces and places in the church. And we need to learn to love people where they are. For years, the church has downed those people because they weren't speaking in tongues and filled with the Holy Ghost yet. And they were, wasn't rolling around on the floor. And those people were just the same. And they had a heart for God. But we didn't recognize discipleship. We thought that if we just lay our hands on somebody's head, they start speaking in another tongue and then all would be well. And then they would assimilate and be just like us. But that's not the case. The case is that we became lazy and we stopped discipling and we forgot what Paul told Timothy that the younger women should teach the older, the older women should teach the younger women how to act and that the older men should teach the younger men how to act. I am not discounting the power of the Holy Ghost, but it comes in conjunction with discipleship and teaching. Yes. 
My pastor used to always say this. He got it from Dr. Burwell. He used to say, preaching will draw you out of the world, but teaching draws the world out of you. Everybody says it's a process. Some people are saved, but they still got hang-ups, and they need somebody that's not going to look down on them with that Holy Ghost feel, no, and, and, and just turn their nose up with them, but realize and have enough humility to realize I was there one time too, and I'm going to walk with you wherever you are. I'm going to walk with you. I, I haven't always been at the place that I am. I haven't always been in the spaces that I've been. And so they need a safe place where they can come, where people can look and, and, and they can be themselves and, and, and not stay themselves, but they can have an atmosphere into which they see holiness in operation, not judgment in operation. There's a difference, but holiness in operation where they can look and help one another. And Paul is saying that you spent too much time worrying about who eats this and who eats that and, and, and who gets this and who gets that. He says, if you're that strong, instead of looking down on your brother, I'm going to quote the old King James, that the strong should bear the infirmities of the weak. He talks about those who are weak in faith. Who are those who are weak in faith? Those are the people that have a realization of their salvation, but something from their encounter in their new life is a trigger to the old life for them. They have not yet grown into a place where outside pressures would not affect them and walk away. I can walk in a casino all day long. Don't go walking in a casino, but nothing would bother me. I'm cheap. I'm not throwing my money down the toilet. That's not what I'm going to do. But there's somebody who's come out of a gambling addiction that needs to stay as far away from the casino as possible. Why? Because they're weak in their faith. And I wouldn't dare walk in there saying, well, it doesn't bother me when I had them with me. Why? Because my strength would then become their weakness and cause them to backslide. Sometimes the strong, someone strong is not always bothered by certain things, while someone weak would have the danger of backsliding. And just as some exposure to the sun is different, some exposure to sin and carnality are different. I, I looked this week and my wife gave me permission to tell this story. I was so glad when I, my feet touched in Texas because uh, I have melanin, in case you didn't notice. And people who are melanated need sun. And up here I have to take vitamin D pills because I don't get as much melanin as I need to or as much vitamin D as I need to and that, that's not healthy for African Americans and people who are dark skinned people Why? and so when I got to Texas and I saw the sun I just felt like <sighs> to feel the heat and the warmth on my face the things that a Michigander would run from I'm running to I'm like oh thank you Jesus and I'm there and we get out and we, we walk the beaches and then we get back to where we are at our location and they have this beautiful pool and this beautiful hot tub and after we spent some time there <coughs> I went and I saw my daughter, she was immediately, she ran straight to one of those benches to lay, lay out and so she could get that sun. And I said, oh, that's a great idea. And I laid on the bench myself and I was getting some sun. And I looked out of the corner of my eye and my wife, who was fairer skinned than I am, was sitting underneath a palm tree. 
And I looked to myself and in my mind, you can't say this out loud when you're married. I said, what's wrong with you? We get plenty of shade. Why are you, why are you sitting under this palm tree? Why? Because we have different skins. And although we were exposed to the same sun, depending on how strong our skin is, we have different tolerances. Some people can walk into the sun and stay for a long time. Uh, African-Americans can get skin cancer, too, but it's not as likely or as, as quick. But people who are fair-skinned, the first thing they do, they go get some SPF 15. Why? To protect their skin from the sun's rays for what's not there naturally. Why? Because we can both be exposed to the same thing and be affected differently. There are some things in the church where we're exposed to and we're affected differently. I know some people who have been musicians and they, I'm a musician myself and they can listen to all types and forms of music and it doesn't bother them. But there are some people who were playing in the clubs and things like that and they saw some things and they did some things and when they hear certain songs, uh, it bothers them. So even when they're playing in the church, even if something sounds like a song, even if it's not, they will not play that song. Why? Their conscience won't let them do it because it pulls them back to a place that they don't want to go to. And some musicians will look at them like, what's wrong with you? It's just music. It's not just music to them. It takes them to a place that they'd rather not go. And their faith is not strong enough to stand on it. And that's when the strong need to embed the affirmatives of the weak. Just because it doesn't bother you doesn't mean that it doesn't bother someone else. Just as the sun exposure is different to different people, some people's exposure to sin and carnality is different. Some of the people I've reached for the gospel is because I have a high tolerance for a lot of things and I can go into some places that other people don't, might not want to go in and I can come out just the same because I don't have to do what they do. I'm not tempted nor enticed by that, but there are some people I would never let you do that in a million years. And I wouldn't do it in front of you or take you to let me see me do it. Why? Because you would think if pastor can do it, I can do it. And you'll end up in a trap. We have to be considerate of one another's weaknesses. Just because it's not a big deal to you does not mean it's not a big deal to somebody else. And the goal is to live as a community and not let our strength cause us to ignore someone else's weakness. And cause them to fall into a life of spirit-altering situations. You know, you can have life-altering situations. You can have spirit-altering situations. And you can cause yourself to be in those things. And God doesn't want you in those things. You can cause your brother to stumble. If your focus is on Victor and not on me, the problem isn't with Victor, it's with you. Pay attention. (laughs) (laughs) Victor's doing what Victor's supposed to do. Not fussing, I just want us to hear this because this is vitally important. That we learn as Christians that God will send all sorts of people he already has in spaces and places. There's somebody from every walk of life in this church. 
And we have to learn that the strong has to bear the infirmity of the weak. We are both exposed to the same things, but it affects us differently. And I must not explore the totality of my freedoms if doing so will cause harm to other people. Paul put it this way, all things are lawful, but all things are not expedient, which means that all things are lawful. There's, I'm not under the law. There's a lot of things I can do that I'm under grace, but all things aren't a good idea. The goal is to live in that community and not let our strength turn into a weakness. Remember, the goal is not to leave a brother or sister weak in the faith. The goal is to develop uh, the faith of others through discipleship. Everybody said discipleship. <clears throat> and fellowship. Luke 22, 31 through 32 says this, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brother. When you have been strengthened, the old King James says that Satan has required to sift you as weak. Why is he saying this? Because it is right after this that he gets into telling Peter that you're about to deny me. And Satan has already desired that when you deny me and you walk away from me, he's going to tear you limb from limb. But I've already prayed for you. You're about to have a weak moment, Peter. <laughs> Those very next postseding verses is saying that you are going to deny me. He's giving him some guidance so he'll remember when you fall, remember this. When you get up and you get your heart strengthened, then strengthen your brother. That's why when he sent for the disciples, he didn't send for them all the same. He said, go get the disciples and Peter. Because I prayed for him. I've already prayed that he be ready for what he's going through. And although he's at a place where he doesn't realize how yet strong he is, he's in down in the dumps because he's made a mistake. He's down in the dump because he lied. He denied me that he ever knew me. He opened up his mouth and started using compound cuss words, everyone he could find, and did everything he could. He's fallen all the way to the floor. But even that he falls to the floor, I don't care how far Haley Berry falls, she's still mine. I don't think she will fall, for glory to God. But at the day, your child is still your child. And God is saying, Peter, you're going to fall. But remember, even when you fall, you're still mine. Even when you're at the top, you're mine. Even when you're in the middle, you're mine. You can't fall from grace. You, how, do you fall, how do you fall from something that you're caused to fall into? You don't need grace until you fall. That's our self-righteous, judgmental attitude coming out in our vernacular. Oh, they fell from grace. No. Grace was there when they fell. So we have to be strong and bear with the infirmities of the weak. We have to realize that we're all at different roads, but the same location. He says, when you have returned, when you have returned to me, you're about to leave me, Peter. But when you have left me or when you have been strengthened, then you strengthen your what? Brothers. <laughs> the number two thing we have to learn if we're going to live the way God wants to live for us to live. Everybody say culture. Versus Christ. Versus Christ. 
Oftentimes, when missionaries would go into the field, they would be very unsuccessful because they would try to come and take the locals and make them look like themselves, to dress like them and to act like them and to talk like them. And they, they counted conversion as a cultural conversion. Once your culture has changed to my culture norm, then you must be converted. They, they're no more converted. They just dressed up and unconverted. But sometimes they learned in future days that every part of their culture isn't bad rather than force my culture on theirs and my beliefs on them. Maybe I should learn how God fits in their culture because he created them too. <laughs> Brother Dave, you go to Africa and you go into worship service in Africa, it ain't like ours. Ours is live. But I don't know if it's that live. <laughs> I've seen brothers and sisters move in ways that I didn't think they had bones in their body. And if they, they did that here, that some people would turn their nose up. But why? Because Christ can work with them. And we have to get the mindset that just because you say you have to have my culture, there's a difference between culture and Christ. We have to learn respect. Everybody say respect. Respect is consideration for a deeply held conviction for people that are not our own convictions. We have respect for a person's belief that is not necessarily accepting the belief. What, is it, what does that mean? Paul is saying, you know there's nothing wrong with eating this meat. I know there's nothing wrong with eating this meat. But they believe it in their walking with Christ. Don't destroy their walk just so you can prove yourself right. All of us have had our kids come up to us and say something absolutely crazy. And we'd be like, that is for real? Okay, then. <laughs> Daddy, I'm going to be a dinosaur. You are? <laughs> you're going to be a dinosaur? I bet you're going to be the best dinosaur in the world, aren't you? <laughs> All of us have done something like that, haven't we? Just because you have knowledge doesn't mean you destroy other people with it. Sometimes you got to let them grow into a place and space where they figure out some things and give them room to grow, just like you had room to grow. There are some things in the body of Christ that are absolutely non-negotiable. That's why we got to learn the difference between culture and Christ. Some things we cannot do away with. You have to have those things. If it doesn't teach that Jesus is the son of God, born of a virgin, suffered under punchless Pilate, died for our sins, rose on the third day, coming back quick and living of the dead, can't rock with that. That's non-negotiable. That's Christ. I'm going to give you a couple of examples that I wrote down, and I'm going to give you some principles. I don't think they put them up there because I didn't give them to. But here's a principle. It is possible to dress both attractively and appropriately. Our dress as believers should, not, should bring glory to God. Why am I bringing this up? Because we're, we're not sacrificing meat to idols. So I prayed about some modern day thing we do in the church. Dressing appropriately in a non-sensual way for men and women that does not promote lustful behavior or gender confusion is honoring to God. There are scriptures for that. 1 Peter 2.9 and 1 uh, Timothy 2.9 and 1 Peter 3 and 3 and 4 through 4 talk about how women should dress. Why are they talking about how women should dress? Probably because men wore robes. They, they wore the same thing all the time and, and nobody's looking for no big hard man. But women sometimes would dress in ways that didn't accentuate their beauty but accentuated their form. And they wore braided hair and things of the culture to make themselves more attractive so you pay more attention to their outer beauty than your inner beauty. And Paul said that should not be so. He didn't say that you shouldn't look nice. See, some people in the Pentecostal church took that too far and, and, and they wouldn't let you wear makeup and no rings or nothing. So some people need makeup and that's okay. <laughs> I'm not being funny. Some people, it helps some people. It, some people may have, have a scar on their face, whatever the case may be. And they, they wanted to adorn themselves, look nice. That's fine if you want to be attractive. But there's a difference between being attractive and sensual. Yeah. 
you can look around and see somebody and say, that's a handsome man or that's a pretty woman. But everybody knows when you, that's not the reason you're looking at them. That's Christ. He talks about a man in Deuteronomy not wearing anything pertaining to a woman. No, that doesn't mean that women can't wear pants. That means that women shouldn't be acting like men and men shouldn't be acting like women. That's not a today problem. That's a forever problem. They've been dealing with that forever in the Bible. That's Christ, that men should look like men and women should look like women. i never forget I was a young boy. <laughs> And uh, I went in, and I was young, Brother Dave. I was, I was a pretty boy. I, I cut my nails and put a little clear manicure stuff on there, and one of my preacher friends had to, and we were sitting in the pastor's office. He said, boy, what's that on your nail? <laughs> I said, it's just some clear acrylic stuff. He said, take that stuff off your nails. You can't be wearing that stuff around. I said, why? He said, and I'll never forget what he said. Let me tell you something, son. Every man that need to be a man need to act like a man, look like a man, smell like a man, and every man had a, had need a job. And if you're a piece of man, you need a part-time job. God, you need to know the difference. <laughs> I'll never forget that. <laughs> he was trying to prove a point that your masculinity is not bad. Stop trying to do away with your masculinity. Rest in who you are. So I, I address should be that men, you know, men are men and women are women and that it's OK to see that people are attractive. You can be attractive without being lewd. But here's the thing. That's a principle. Everybody said principle. principle. Now, here's the preference. Whether or not we wear blue jeans or suits to church. That's culture. That's not Christ. If the jeans are not form fitting and they're not lustful, lustful, lustfully made to accentuate the body in ways that other people shouldn't see. What's wrong with them? But for, for many years, we drove people away because we preach culture as Christ. You should wear a suit to church. But what happened to Jesus? He wore a robe. No, that's your cultural norm. And we should follow principles within our cultural norms. You should not look like you live in the 1700s when you come to church. You can look nice with current updated clothes. But don't flaunt your freedom in front of everybody else. And some, some, some of our churches, when we go to fellowships and things, I know they expect a suit. And guess what I do? I put on a suit. Why? Why would I let that distract away from the message of Jesus Christ? Why would I allow my freedom to hurt someone else? There are some places they probably wouldn't let you preach unless you had a robe. If I was called a preacher, I don't have one, but I know somebody who makes wonderful robes. Sister Walker makes wonderful robes. I call Sister Walker and say, will you make me a robe? I know it'll take a time because you got to get a lot of material. But at the same time, <laughs> when you're in those places, you learn to do those things. This is the teaching message. Is this helping anybody? Amen. Now, here's the principle. It's important to come together and worship. Everybody said, come together and worship. <laughs> We see Hebrews 10 and 25 says that to forsake not to assemble yourself together as some are accustomed to doing. It is right. It is godly and it's commanded that we worship together as believers. That's that's non-negotiable. God has called us to do that. He didn't call us to watch the worship from our couch and from my cell phone. And if you're watching from your couch or your cell phone, we love you. Keep watching. 
but we'll try to see you next Sunday. And some people can't be in this location. We have people in different parts and different states, but you need to have a corporate body of people that you're connected to. Now, here's the principle. That's the, everybody said principle. principle. Now, here's the preference. Which day do we set aside for worship? Because mm. some people worship on Saturdays. Some churches have Friday night services. And they catch people who work on the weekends. Paul teaches us against people who try to force you to observe certain feast days or certain Sabbaths. That's not Christ. That's culture. We started meeting on Sundays in the first century when the church started because that's the day Jesus rose and it was notified as the Lord's Day. But Paul said, don't let people make you hold to certain Sabbaths. You need to come to church on Sunday if you can. But if you can't, find a way to worship. Find a way to come together and worship. If we had enough people that, that said, Pastor, I can't come on Sundays, but I can come on Fridays, guess what we would have? A Sunday and a Friday night service. Would God show up less because it was Friday? No. Matter of fact, we had a night of worship. Yes, we did. And it was on a Friday. Did God not show up? Now, this makes us uncomfortable because it messes with our deeply held beliefs. And we have to learn, this is teaching, the difference between Christ and culture. Am I saying people shouldn't come to church on Sunday? No, you need to come to church on Sunday. I was telling somebody because we didn't go to church, I could count on my hands. I'm 42 years old. There's probably about seven or eight times in my entire life that I have not been in somebody's church on Sunday. It felt foreign to me. <laughs> I believe in coming to church. When I was young, you were sick, but that's what healing is. You coming in church. <laughs> Stayed out when you're young and you, you, you tired. Well, you got energy for that. You got to have energy for God. And you better not go to sleep. <laughs> Anybody raised like that? So here's another one. Here's another principle that we should praise corporately and edify one another with spiritual songs. Pull up Ephesians 5.19 for me, please. Ephesians 5.19. These are things that we need to learn. This is more of a teaching. Let's read. To, what does that say? Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, seeking and making melody in your heart to the Lord. <clears throat> Everybody say Christ. That's the commandment of Christ. That we are to come together corporately, that we are to worship God, that we are to sing spiritual songs and hymns and making melody in our hearts to the Lord. But what genre of music do we listen to? I have listened with anguish as I heard people preaching from pulpits that gospel rap is wrong and that it's music of the devil while they sit there and play rhythm and blues and country music, which all came from rhythm and blues in their pulpits. But it's God's music because that's what they came up on. No, that's culture. Mississippi, did you not know this? There's only two Grammy museums in the world, and one of them is in Mississippi. You know why? Because Mississippi has more Grammy win winners per capita than any other place in the world. When you come into Mississippi, there's a sign that says the birthplace of America's music, and I hate to tell you, the birthplace of America's music is not Southern gospel. Southern gospel comes from blues and jazz. And when gospel came into the churches and the black churches and Tom, I believe Tom Clancy or Tom Thomas Whitfield came into the church. No, that's a little bit later. 
So that was later. Came into, the, came into the church and began to bring gospel. They would not let gospel music in because it sounded like it came from the club. It sounded too much like blues to them. I'm a musician. This is why I know this. But we will ascribe a certain type of music as holy and damn the other music. We condemn it. When the truth of the matter is, it's about speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, and making melody in your what? Heart. It doesn't matter if it has. Play some country real quick for me. Yeah. Uh, yep. Without God, my life would be nothing like a ship without a sail. Gospel, now. Without God, I could do nothing. Without Him, I would fail. Without God, my life would be rugged like a ship jazz. Without a sail, without God, my, my life would be rugged. Without Him, I would fail. Without God, my life would be rugged. Like a ship without a sail, boogie woogie. Without God, I would be nothing. Without him, I would fail. Without God, my life would be nothing like a ship without a sail. Hmm. Now, which, which type is right? We just went from Michael Todd to Jimmy Swagger <laughs> and all in between. Now, if we know a church like Southern Gospel and we go visit that church, are we going to hop out with the newest and latest and greatest from the top 100? Probably not. <laughs> Why? Because if it would offend them and hurt their walk with God, we won't rub our freedom in their what? But we learn the difference in this church between Christ and culture. So we know, and we know how to handle it when we know it. A lot of times pastors keep people ignorant because they can help control them, but I don't want to control you. I want you to know so you'll know for yourself, and you can think for yourself, and you can pray for yourself, and be led by the Holy Spirit by yourself. Your pastor is not going to be walking around on your ring camera seeing what's in your cup when you go home, and what you're watching, and what's on your TV. You have to be spirit-led. And since that's the case, we come to the last thing. Everybody said, lean on me. Lean on me. <laughs> see? He, I did that, and everybody started singing a song. You see that? See, y'all ain't saved. Look at you. <laughs> I just, I'm, yes, you are. Because <laughs> they sung it in a bunch of churches. Why? This is a fun sermon. Why? Because there is a difference between people-pleasing and serving people with humility. Doing things just 
to please people and then serving people with that spirit of humility. I know this is more of a teaching sermon. I know we like to jump and shout, but we've jumped and shouted a whole lot lately, and, and we need just a little bit of teaching. Y'all mind this today? Y'all tired of me? No. Uh, we good. We good. Just, just keep him with him. That's fine. I love that. I love kids, kids in the building. He, he's enjoyed children's church so much. I want to read this to you, and we're not going to be long. Romans chapter 15. Pull up Romans chapter 15 for me. Crew in the back, please. Romans chapter 15. Then we who are strong ought to bear with the infirmities, the impossibilities, the translation said, the original translation said, the things that they can't get over, the, their infirmities of the weak, and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, for his edification. We do things for people, not so that the people can be pleased, but so that God can be pleased. I'm going to give it to you in one sentence. Paul, okay, Paul said, I am all things, repeat after me, I am all things to all people that I might win some. I am all things to all people that I might win some. The goal is for people who don't yet know to lean on you. Amen. Had a friend. I've been dealing with this person for a long time now. Person's not a churchgoer. But I was shocked and almost in tears the other day when they sat down with me and said, I need to talk to you. I said, you need to talk to me? He said, yeah. I need to talk to you because I'm going through something and I need some help and I want you to help me with it. And he says, I've been around a long time and I've seen a lot of preachers, but you seem to be a little bit more real than other people. <laughs> and I feel like I can talk to you. Why does he feel like that? Because he's been around a long time and he knows that he's done some things in front of me that are not very Christ-like. And not once did I pull out a Bible and beat him over the head. I just kept talking to him like I didn't see what he was doing. I've heard him say a lot of things that wasn't very Christ-like. And here every now and then, he'll say, uh, excuse me, I'm sorry. <laughs> or he'll get ready to do something. He walked in the door the other day to do something, and he was walking in that door to do something, and he came back in. He said, hey, we ready to, he looked down, he said, oh, never mind. He walked off. <laughs> Not once have I beat him over the head with the Bible, but I walked in and I haven't judged him. But I have let my light shine. And because I don't pretend to be somebody that I'm not, and I don't go in with a high horse thumping a Bible over my head, I am the Bible. And when they ask me spiritual questions, I don't back down. They know who I am. But guess what? He's reaching out. And that's how we get opportunities. Why? Because I am the person that he can lean on. Somebody else will see somebody that didn't know God, that was dejected and was good for nothing. I see somebody who the Lord loves that he died for. So I'm all things to all people that I might win some. Now I need to tell the weak Christians, that don't mean I do all things with all people that I might win some. Because I know some people, they're the, you, you, some places you, you just don't go. Just don't do it. You probably not going to lead somebody to Jesus over a beer. <laughs> 
You're probably not going to do it. <laughs> Some things we have to have, uh, we have to have, you see what I'm saying? I didn't say do all things with all people. I said be all things to all people. That I can walk with you and let you know that I'm a human like you, living in a human experience, but I have something on the inside of me that causes me to be different. And when the time comes, guess what? They'll reach out and lean on you because they say that's the person I can trust because the strong are to bear the infirmities of weak. My best evangelism tool is my haircut. I go to the barbershop evangelizing people, and it has brought more people into this church than I can imagine. People that will never come to church. I'll never forget. I went in to, to a birthday party at a, at a barbershop. I'll tell you this. There's nothing wrong with a birthday party. And there were people there, and they weren't church people. And I sat down, and they said, hey, pastor, you want to play domino? Now, <laughs> One dude said, full disclosure, <laughs> I played these every day when I was locked up, so you ain't finna win. <laughs> I'm from Mississippi, son. <laughs> Have a seat. <laughs> and as I sat with them and started slapping them dominoes, turned on and started talking to them, and everybody got tired of losing, and they got up from the table. <laughs> One of them came to me, and they said, Willie, Nobody else will come down here and be with us. You know how we are. But you don't judge us and you still come and be around us. That person hadn't made it in this building, but they own their way to church. That person had an addiction and they are now free. They're walking with them. Why? Because the strong has to learn how to bear, bear the infirmities of the weak. Long-suffering, walk with people. Everybody's not going to be on your level. Everybody's not going to be on your degree. But if anything, if you are strong, if you're in this building, I will tell you something. You might not think you're strong, but if you're in this building, you're stronger than many. Because many people don't make it through those doors and can't find the strength or even the forgiveness of themselves to walk through those doors. They're saying the things I did in life, God can't forgive me. And since they won't come to the church, the church, you have to go to them. I can't see why you're keeping people that don't believe in God around, around me. I'm not hanging around them all the time, but why are they even in my path? Why can't I go to a job uh, the way everybody was saved and filled with God and we just praise God all day long? Well, then who goes to save the sinner? Lean on me. Does anybody have somebody saved in their circle that they know needs God? Anybody in your circle you know who doesn't even want any God? It's your time to say, lean on me. <clears throat> For it won't be long till you're going to need somebody to lean on. Lean on me. When you're not strong, and I'll be your friend, I'll help you carry on, for it won't 
don't belong to you're gonna need somebody to lean on lean on me when you're not strong I'll be your friend can you do that today I help you carry on stay with it it won't be long till you're gonna need somebody to lean on, lean on me when you're not strong and I'll be your friend. I help you Say that one more time. Lean on me <coughs> when you're not strong, and I'll be your friend. Preach with me. I help you carry on. He's fine. For it won't be long. You're gonna need. You can get him now. Somebody to lean. He's learning. Lean on me. He's actually on beat. When you're not strong, I'll be your friend. I help you carry on. For it won't be long till you're gonna need. Somebody to lean on. As Brother Dave come, I know that's not your traditional church song. It is in certain circles. <laughs> you might need somebody you're going to lean on one day. So be a bridge, because one day you're going to need a bridge. And be ye not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. When I was young, I want to talk to you today, I would go into nursing homes, and sometimes I thought it was just because people were selfish that people didn't go to visit them. And they, they just threw their loved ones away. But as I started talking to some of those people, I realized something, because they were never there for anybody else. Now there's nobody there for be there for somebody else. Because one day you're going to need somebody to lean on. God, we give you thanks. You do it however you want to do it, God. You didn't do it with jumping and shouting today, God. You just did it with conversation. And I pray in the name of Jesus, what is said has been impactful and will help somebody. That if they have strength in the body of Christ, that they'll reach down and not look down to look down on somebody, but look down to pick them up and to reach and lift them up in the name of Jesus. And for those of us who need that hand, I pray that they will find it in this church or wherever their location is. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Somebody give God a hand clap of praise. Praise the Lord, everybody. I feel like I've been to Sweden house. Amen. I didn't need everything there, but there was a lot of stuff there that I needed, that, 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 I, that, that I could use. Amen? Amen. Amen. There's a, everybody could get something out of that message today. 
and I, most of it hit me. Amen. Praise the Lord. But, amen. Don't be afraid to lean on somebody else. Amen. Well, I, it's just me and God in this thing. Well, no. God set it up that the church would minister to itself. Amen. Amen. God works through other people sometimes. Amen. And if you're needing somebody to lean on right now, I invite you to this altar. Amen. Well, I don't want people to know my business. You don't have to tell us your business. You just say, I need prayer. That's all you have to say. I, I need some prayer. I, I, need, I need God to give me some strength in, in some certain areas of my life. I, I don't want you to know, but I just want you to know I need strength. That's all you got to say. And we will, we will be with you. Amen. Nobody's going to judge you here. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. I've, I've been the center of sinners, man. I've, <laughs> I've done some crazy stuff in my, in my life. I ain't, I ain't going to. How can I judge you? Amen. When I've been a, uh, I've been a devil myself. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. Jesus brought me out of all that. You may not be there yet. Amen. You may need some help getting, getting out of something. You may need some help getting through something. Amen. I, we understand that. Amen. So if you, if, you need, if you need prayer today, this altar is open. Amen. We'll, we'll linger here a minute. And, uh, amen. If you, if, you, if, you need, if you need help today, if you need strength from God, then lean on me. Amen. If you need strength from God, lean on me. Amen. Because that's, that's the way God set it up. Amen.